Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Everywhere we choose to speak carries weight. Weight that releases from our intentions and is set in motion on one or two paths. Paths that are clearly defined and kept in line by the power of the tongue. Path one. Where our words are aimed to destroy. Harsh words filled with hate-filled lies that just add to the noise. But these same words can be sent down another path. A path where our intentions and our words can beautifully aspire to send words of blessing on a destiny to inspire. True words spoken in love that are meant to lift higher. For there's no such thing as wasted breath because our words are breathing fire. Today we continue our series called Breathing Fire. And we're talking about the importance of words. And sometimes I think we underestimate the power of words. You think about the gift that God has given to us as he gives us words. We can use words to guide someone. We can use words to encourage, to uplift, to give hope. We can give words to give constructive criticism, to help someone and warn someone. But most of all, we can use our words to point other people to God's love. Uh, Today, as we continue this study, the title of today's message is Radical Candor. And we actually took the title from a book that was written a couple of years ago that I had the privilege of reading by Kim Scott by that same name, Radical Candor. And in that book, she reminds us how important it is for us not only to give, but also receive honest and caring feedback from other people. Now, in the book, she talks about two components of radical candor. She says, first of all, it's to challenge someone directly. And and here's the real problem. Many times we don't do that. Many times what we do is we tell people about 90% of the truth, but we hold back about 10%. And then we turn and we share that 10% with everybody else except the one person who needs to hear that 10%. Because in that 10%, there is guidance. In that 10%, there's sometimes warning. In that 10% is the, the, the formula for resolving a conflict that has been long standing. As she calls it radical candor because it's radical for us to share and directly confront. The second part of what she says is an important component is to care personally. And very frankly, it is rare because many times there are people who have no problem sharing the truth with us. But they do so out of anger. They do so out of the need to be right or revenge or retaliation. This radical candor is a candor that is 100% of the truth, but it is also 100% love. We need it at work. If we do it at work, we will get promoted more often. We'll get a better salary. We'll produce greater results. We need it at home. Uh, I've shared with you in the past, Marsh and I uh, will celebrate 47 years of marriage this summer. And here's the good news about being married for 47 years is you get brand new things to argue about every year. You really do. Let me just, something to look forward to. But here's the problem. If you're still arguing about the same things you argued about in the first year and in the fifth year and the 17th year, and then you get new stuff to argue about in the 47th year, all you're doing is living in conflict. 
And you've gotta resolve that and you can't resolve conflict and move on and create systems and understandings and, and boundaries if you do not speak the truth. We not only need it at work, we need it at home, we need it in the church. It is as we speak radical candor that we actually disciple one another. There's a wonderful book by Tim Chester called You Can Change, and in the book he says this. He says, part of our problem is that we don't rebuke one another day by day. And so when we do, it creates a sense of crisis. Rebuke becomes confrontational in that situation. That may be needed in some situations, but often it can be avoided if rebuke has become a normal part of the way that we disciple one another. He goes on to write, I need people who regularly talk to me about my walk with God, readily challenge my behavior, and know about my temptations. We need it at work, we need it at home, we need it in the church. And as we speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, in love, then it produces great results. And that's why God calls us to it. Then why don't we do it more often? I think sometimes we don't share radical candor because we're afraid we're going to hurt the other person's feelings. Other times, we're afraid that if we speak the truth, even in love, the other person's going to be mad at us. And they may very well be. But we can't keep from sharing the truth because someone else responds incorrectly to the truth. That's their problem. We need to follow God's command in our own life. Sometimes we don't share radical truth because we're afraid that we might set an example. They might share radical truth with us and we really don't wanna hear the truth. You see, we're living in denial and we really don't wanna leave that campground. In her book, uh, Radical Truth, she gives a little chart, I think that's helpful to see this. She talks about people who really care about the other person, and then she talks about people who are really committed to the truth. And all of us are gonna fall into one of these four quadrants. The, uh, there are people who, uh, who don't care about the truth and they have very little care for us, and they are manipulative, insincere people. And these are the people that you say, how does this dress look? And they'll always tell you insincerely, you look great. And then after you leave, they'll tell everybody how hideous it was because they don't care about the truth, nor do they care about you. And then there are other people, uh, that she describes it as ruinous empathy, and that's a person who really cares about you but doesn't have a value for the truth. And so this person will not share the truth. They're doing the same thing this person is doing. Many times they'll keep silent but they keep silence because they're afraid they're gonna hurt your feelings. And, and their feeling toward us is sincere. They really think they're caring for us. But it's like a doctor who doesn't tell a patient that they have cancer. That's not loving. That's cruel is what that is. And so it's a misguided empathy. And then there are people who fall into this quadrant who really don't care about us, but they care a lot about the truth and they're obnoxiously aggressive. You never have to wonder what they think. If you, if you blow your nose and you don't look in a mirror right afterwards and you have a little booger hanging from your nose, this person will tell everybody in the room that you have a booger on your nose. That's how much they care about us. Well, they say, well, it's the truth. Well, yeah, it's the truth, but that's not the way to do it. And then there's the person who exercises radical candor, and if you have a booger on your nose, they will quietly call you to the side, and they'll say, hey, you, you might wanna check in a mirror. 
very quietly. They don't even say the word booger, okay? Because <laughs> they genuinely care about you, but they care enough about you to enter into an uncomfortable situation for your benefit. This person will not tell you you have a booger in your nose because they don't want to be embarrassed. And this person will not tell you you have a booger on your nose because they don't want to embarrass you. By the way, one of the reasons that we're commanded to be people of radical candor is because we have a God of radical candor. God will tell you about the spiritual booger on your nose. Now you can go home and put that in your journal. That's, that'll preach. That may have been worth the trip here today. But think about it. That's why we got saved in the first place, isn't it? He called us sinners. Not a real popular word these days, right? That's what make people uncomfortable. Friends, it's cancer he's telling us about. Spiritual cancer. Forget spiritual boogers, friends. We got spiritual cancer. And God loves us enough to tell us that we're not in a right relationship. And then he makes a way for us to be in right relationship and he tells us the truth. And then once he comes to live inside of us, he doesn't stop there. Have you ever prayed to God and said, God, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from having right relationships? God, is there any way that I'm handling my finances that are not honoring to you? God, is there any habit in my life that will eventually destroy me? Have you ever prayed that prayer and God said, nah, no. (laughs) Guys, the moment I pray that prayer, God loves me so much and loves the truth so much. I always get immediate, helpful, sometimes uncomfortable information. If you have a Bible with you today, I wanna encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and to look in verse 15, because long before Kim Scott wrote this book, God established this truth. It was true 2,000 years ago. It is still true today. And that is that God calls us to radical candor two components to it. First of all is that we're willing to directly challenge others, but it is also that we're willing to personally care for others. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 15, it says this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And that's what radical candor is. It's truth with love. The two are not mutually exclusive. And then in that same chapter, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 25, uh, the author, the apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he tells us why we're to exercise radical candor. He says in verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. See, we have a responsibility to each other to speak the truth with love because we're family. And guys, that's what families do. In Second Th- Thessalonians 3.15, it says it this way, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him, that's radical candor, as a brother. Brothers tell the truth to one another, even if it's hard to tell the truth, even if it might be a little embarrassing because they love us and they love the truth, and they love what the truth can do in us. In Proverbs, the 27th chapter, Proverbs 27, verse five, it says this, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses 
of an enemy. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Someone who doesn't care about us, somebody who plays loose with the truth, that's the kisses of an enemy. And we don't need the kisses of an enemy. We need the wound of a friend. Because in that, that's where we find healing. That's where we find health. That's where we find guidance. That's where we find warning. See, the problem is, is that we live by the myth thinking we have to choose between one or the other. That we either have to choose between caring for someone or the truth, confronting someone. And the truth is, is we don't have to choose between the two, the two to go together. It's not care or confront, it's care front. I don't know if that's a word in the dictionary or not, but it is now, all right? Care fronting one another. If you were to land in Denver, Colorado, and you were to rent a car and begin to drive for Vail on Highway 70, uh, along the way, you'd have to go through a tunnel. Uh, that tunnel is actually uh, the Eisenhower Tunnel. It's drilled through the, the middle of a mountain. Now, there's some people who have trouble with tunnels. They, for some reason, they have a fear of that. I, I actually love tunnels. You can honk your horn as you're going through. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I remember years and years ago, my youngest grandson, uh, Boone, uh, who's about two years old, we got him a tunnel. And this is not his tunnel, but it's, a, it's a, one that was like the one that he had at the time. And we, we thought, Boone's gonna love this. And so we opened up the tunnel for him to play with, and he wouldn't go in. It scared him to death. And I think, as I look back on it, that the problem that, that Boone had with it is Boone didn't know you could crawl out at the other end. He thought that you'd go into it and you can't get out. And so we wanted him to experience it and also wanted him to get over his fear. So he had a Texas Ranger baseball cap that was his pride uh, possession. So we threw the hat in the tunnel. <laughs> he was still afraid of the tunnel, but what was in there was so valuable to him, he was willing to take the risk to get in there. And once he got in there, he realized, he saw there's a, you can get out of this thing. And he started crawling through it and he started enjoying it. Guys, there's a tunnel uh, that's called the tunnel of truth. And it's scary sometimes to go into that tunnel with someone. Uh, it's sometimes called the tunnel of chaos or the tunnel sometimes even of conflict. But if we're going to be people of radical candor, we've got to have enough faith to trust that God goes into that tunnel with us and there is a way out. Now, as we think about that, I want to encourage you to prepare to go into the tunnel because you got to make preparation. And the first preparation you make is that you talk to God about what's going to go on in the tunnel. And when you talk to God about that, what he's going to do is he's going to do several things. One of the things that he's going to do is he's going to clarify the issue. See, there are many times we think we need to go in the tunnel because something is so big and God's going to clarify whether or not it's a mountain or a molehill. And a lot of times we think it's a mountain, it's actually a hill. I remember when my girls were growing up, one of my daughters just got into a black phase, okay? Everything she wore was black. And it was kind of depressing. It was like she was going to a funeral every day. And so I decided I was gonna crawl into the tunnel of chaos, the tunnel of conflict, the tunnel of truth, and we were gonna get this straightened out. But it just so happens that I talked to God before I talked to my daughter. And, and when I did, God said, Steve, is this a mountain or is this a hill? I said, well, God, I think it's a mountain. He said, really? What's this really about? And he said, well, it's, it's about 
I mean, she's embarrassing me. I said, that, that, God said, that doesn't sound like it's about her. It sounds like it's about you. It sounds like you've got a problem. And, and when, when he said that, I realized he was right. My, my daughter was not disobeying any uh, command that we'd given her. She was not violating any biblical principles. She wasn't doing anything immoral. It was just that she embarrassed me. And then God said, hey, by the way, Steve, there are going to be plenty of times in the, for the rest of your life that you're going to get to embarrass your daughter by what you wear. <laughs> so there is payback on this thing. I said, okay, well, that seems fair. That seems cool. And we didn't go in the tunnel. The other thing that God will clarify is he not only will clarify the issue, he will clarify our hearts, which is real important. Sometimes we want to go into the tunnel because we want to prove somebody else wrong, because we want to retaliate or we want to punish someone. And that's a wrong reason. You may need to go in the tunnel, but you don't want to go in with the wrong motive because it's about speaking the truth with love. It's about having the best interest of the other person equal to your own interest. And when we talk to God, he not only clarifies the issues, but issue, but many times he clarifies the motive. And then the second thing we need to do to prepare to go into that tunnel is we need to choose the right time and the right place. Scripture says in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 15, that if your brother has sinned against you, you go to your brother in private. Because there's no need to tell everybody the full 100%. You need to be talking to that person. And I would say this as well, and the scripture uh, reinforces this later on in Ephesians, the, uh, the, the fourth chapter. It says that we're to pick a time that will minister grace to the person who's hearing it. In other words, don't invite someone into the tunnel in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, okay? Don't invite somebody and then be offended that they don't want to go into the tunnel on their way out the door to go to work where they're already late. That is, that's manipulative. And so we choose the right time, we choose the right place. And then the third thing we do to prepare for going into that tunnel is we practice our words. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 29, it says this. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification, don't miss that, according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know, when you begin to share the truth, many times things go south pretty quick if you don't practice your words. And I think it's important enough for you to have a rehearsal for you to say out loud what you're about to say to the other person and in the process of doing so, sometimes you're gonna realize how silly it sounds when you say it out loud, that this is not a mountain, it is a hill. Or that your particular position on it is more than unreasonable. I think also you catch inflammatory words, you go, okay, would I want, if I was in the same situation and someone was inviting me into the tunnel of chaos or the tunnel of truth, would I want them to use that word to describe what I did? In fairness. And so, and so we wordsmith. Guys, words are important. And we need to make sure that whatever we're saying gets on the solution side, not the complaint or the historical side. See, complaints are past tense. Requests are future tense. And we need to choose words that look forward to hope and change rather than condemnation in the past. And then once we have prepared by talking to God about what's going to happen in the tunnel, once we choose the right time and the right place to do so, once we carefully rehearse our words 
led by the Holy Spirit. Then and only then, we enter the tunnel, which I'm going to attempt to do right now. <gasps> we tried to find a bigger tunnel, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, all right. No wonder Boone did not want to go in here. This is kind of scary. All right, so now we're in the tunnel. So what do we do now? We go through the tunnel. And there's several things that we need to do to go through the tunnel. The first thing we need to do is we need to affirm the relationship. We need to say to the person, the reason I want to go through that tunnel is because I care about you. Think about it at work. You're having to reprimand an employee or to give guidance to them. They need to know that the reason you're doing that is not a precursor to you firing them. You're doing it because you want them to be successful. You want them to stay there. You want them to be productive, but they gotta change if that's gonna be true. And so that's where you begin. You say, I'm for you. I'm your biggest fan. Uh, after our service on Saturday night, uh, one of our church members said that he supervises a good number of people and that what he does is before he enters the tunnel of truth, he asks for permission to share the unvarnished truth with them. He said, in all the years, I've never had anybody said, no, I really don't want to know the truth. But it respects somebody when you ask them for permission to share the truth. If it's in a marriage, you need to let your spouse know that you love them and that you could be wrong, but that you're angry about something. You don't want to be angry. You want to resolve this thing. And you let them know your intent as you begin the tough work of working through this tunnel. The second thing you want to do is keep it constructive, which we've already talked about. Because you, I think when you rehearse, you not only rehearse what you're going to say, but you rehearse what you're going to say if they come back with harsh words, because sometimes they will. And how are you going to respond? How are you going to keep your cool? How are you going to keep that thing from going south quickly? The third thing that you want to do is you want to invite dialogue. To invite dialogue is to be humble to say maybe there's something about this situation that I really don't know or don't understand. To be willing to revise your version of truth based on new information. And that's so hard to do because we want to do all the talking, don't we? We think when we crawl into that tumble, tunnel that we're right, don't we? The truth is, is we're fallible and we may not be right. There may be a version of the truth that we haven't heard. There may be facts that we don't know. And so we invite dialogue. And then finally, you exit the tunnel. Now, that's easier said than done. <laughs> Here's why it's hard to exit the tunnel of truth, the tunnel of chaos, the, tr the tunnel of conflict. Because unlike this tunnel, the exit is smaller than the entrance. And because that is true, there may be some things you have to actually leave in the tunnel in order to get out. Because you can't take them with you. It won't fit. You may have to leave the right to be right. You may have to leave some bitterness. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verse 31, it says this. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You can't leave this tunnel and still be mad. You can't leave this tunnel and still be bitter. You have to leave this tunnel, all that in the tunnel. You have to leave the right to be right. And then I think sometimes you have to leave unrealistic expectations. 
I know one of those for me is that when I share the hard truth with someone, I want them never to do anything like that again, and that's not realistic. You have to leave the expectation that someone's gonna be perfect just because you've had a conversation. You may have to enter the tunnel again with them. I know you don't want to, but you have to realize that nobody can promise that they will never make a mistake again or, or never foul up again. If they promise that, they're lying, okay? Because we're, we're fallen human beings. We can't promise that to God about our lives. And then this is maybe the hardest one, was we have to leave the expectation in this tunnel that the other person's gonna leave the tunnel with us, that it's going to be resolved. Sometimes you, you prepare to enter the tunnel, you talk to God, you choose the right time and place, you carefully craft your words, and the other person doesn't receive it well. But guys, it's worth it to come in here because there's a possibility that you can gain a brother. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 15, we referred to it a little bit earlier. It says this, it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. That we referenced that earlier. Don't miss the next word. If he listens to you, you've won a brother. That means sometimes he won't or she won't. And you've got to be willing to leave this tunnel, leave the conflict, leave your bitterness and your malice behind and say, you know, I did my best. I shared what I believed to be the truth because I really cared about the other person, not because I was trying to win. And if the other person doesn't respond to that as well, then that's their issue and they're gonna have to deal with it. But I'm gonna do right by the truth and I'm gonna do right by the person. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was full of both grace and truth. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have Jesus inside of you. That means you're full of it, okay? But it's, good, it's a good it. You're full of grace and truth. Let it go. Let it free. Let it flow through your life. Be people of truth. But also, so very important, be people of grace. And the chances are is that God will bless that. And you will win a brother. You'll redeem an employee. You'll make peace in the neighborhood. You'll cause a conflict in the church to stop being distracting from the important progress that we need to make for God's glory. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the practicality of your word. We thank you for inviting us to be people of both grace and truth. Help us, dear Father, not to be afraid to enter the tunnel from time to time. And I pray, dear Father, that as we do so, that we would remember that you are a God of radical candor. And that in a sense, we're most like you when we approach other people with both truth and grace. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.